Welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles now, and I'm going to ask you to open to two different texts of Scripture. And again, go to Ephesians chapter 5 and try to find Ephesians 5 and verse 1 and place a marker there and something that you can kind of use to get a quick reference. But then go back to Genesis chapter 1. And because if you've been with us, what we're trying to do is use Genesis 1 and 2 as what I call a primary text for our sermon series, but then also filling out the rest of uh, our points through other parts of the Scripture to to supplement it with secondary text. So Genesis 1 and 2 has been the, the main backbone of this series that we're currently in called Worship Beyond the Parking Lot, but we're looking at the entirety of what the Bible talks about in terms of stewardship. And if you've been with us, we are encouraging people not to just have this mentality that we can worship here at church and then never worship again. And sometimes we even limit it to just singing, and we certainly don't want to do that. We want to expand worship to every part of life and every facet of life, and that's stewarding our lives for the glory of God. And that's what we're talking about in our series, Worship Beyond the Parking Lot. So in a moment, I'm going to get to this text in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 through 5. But before I do that, I want to share with the church just some things that are on my heart relative to three upcoming events in in the life of the family of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. The first announcement that I really wanted to highlight this morning is an opportunity for you to do something that I call being an international missionary. It's on the slide that I've asked the the media team to keep up this morning. I don't know about you, but I've always had a desire and a respect for international missionaries. I've always had a little bit of desire to the the excitement to be an international missionary. And we have the opportunity to do that because I've been able to partner with the University of Alabama and a group called Tuscaloosa International Friends. And we have a number of international students that can be adopted by families within our church. And it doesn't take them, um, they're not going to be living with you, they're not going to be staying with you, but it's just creating a friendship. And the only requirement the university asks is that you try to contact them about once a month and build friendships with them, and just be a friendly voice in Tuscaloosa for international students. But we have to understand, folks, that this is an amazing opportunity for us here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church to reach international students for the Lord. And I don't think that um, right now we're taking full advantage of the opportunities that we have in this area that are just right down the street with international students. And there's many of these uh, students that are here on campus from countries where the gospel is actually uh, illegal to preach. It's uh, a closed country to the gospel. And yet they're right down the street in these apartment complexes right around here. And I, I just have a burden that we try to reach these people while they're here before they go back to their home country and try to share the gospel with them. And so I really have a, a desire to see if there's anybody that would join uh, this, this project, and let's see where God takes it. But again, if you have uh, just the desire and the time to maybe invite somebody out to a, a cup of coffee, take them to lunch once a month, go get breakfast once a month, or maybe even once every couple of months, and just get to know them. And obviously the whole purpose of this is to share the plan of salvation at some point so they hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be saved. 
It's not just about uh, trying to get to know them. It's about sharing the gospel and giving them an opportunity to become a follower of Christ before they go back home. So if you're interested, I have the, the, the next step in this, and we're going to move forward and see if there's anybody that wants to, to be involved in this. But I'm excited about this opportunity. So if you have a big family maybe that gets a big uh, time together every few months, I mean, it would be a wonderful time to, to you know, bring them on board and something like that and bring them to church as well. That's the first opportunity you have this morning here. A second opportunity is our upcoming garage giveaway that's this Saturday morning. From 7 to 1 p.m. And I want us to be sure to understand what we're trying to accomplish here. We need to stop and really think about the purpose that we're trying to accomplish with this. So let me be clear. We are not just trying to help with material needs. What we're trying to do here with our church is build relationships with people who are created in the image of God who are separated from God, their Creator, by their sins, and they need to be restored through the gospel, through the plan of salvation that Jesus has died for their sins. So that's the purpose. The purpose is to connect these people to our church. We are reaching out to people and asking them to come to our church as members of our church. And what we're doing is using this material blessing as a bridge to our church membership. And so it's not about just helping people with material needs because they'll, those needs will continue to be there. What they need is the ultimate source of life. And so that's what our purpose is. So when you come, what we need for you to do, first of all, is come with a missionary spirit. And in the foyer, there's three sign-up sheets. And you can um, see what the sign-up sheets do, but in particular, the people that begin with these families in the kids' area that we're now calling the treehouse, in the, this large uh, gathering that will start the process in the children's area, we need some of our people to just come alongside these families and stay with them and befriend them and get to know them and share your name and tell them, we want you to come back, and you will meet them here when they come back and sit with them. And we need for you to reach out to these people as friends. I want to see people come to our church as members of this through this program. And obviously, they've got a responsibility to come back, and that's on them. But our responsibility is to be Christ-like toward them and loving toward them. So as, the, as, as people come around, what I'm asking you not to do is just get off to the side and kind of be our little bunch Let's not do that where it's just us and then we're just not really interacting with them. We need to interact and get to know and just talk to people and be friendly toward them. And there's some sign-up sheets out here, too, for different areas. But Scott Stevens is really the point of contact for that. He can help you. He can, uh, if you want to be part of this um, project, you, Scott Stevens is your point of contact. But the bottom line is, I don't want us to... Ha if you're thinking right now, our church is giving people things, and I'm, I'm blessed by the fact that we're giving our stuff to other people that need... We need to say that's only the very beginning of it. We need to be thinking our church is building bridges with people that need a relationship with Christ for eternal life, okay? So that's the ultimate purpose. I mean, we are called to this town... In this area of the town, first and foremost, to have a heart for the people that are right around us. And these people may be coming from other parts of town, but the bottom line is 
we're here to reach people for Christ, and we're going to reach out to them and expect them to, uh, to know we want them to come back here, okay? And then the third and final thing I want to talk about before we begin is, is something that is, again, an opportunity for our men here to be disciples of Christ. And that is on the 29th of February, and it's on your screen here, there is a men, and really it's our annual men's outreach event. And it's, it's for men in our church to grow, but it's also an outreach event. And so I'm asking the men to go ahead now that you know it's the 29th of February to put that on your calendar and make it a priority to be here. That's the first thing I'm asking you to do. And um, you see it's going to be a wonderful time of, of, of fellowship with food and growth. It's going to be called Courage to Stand, and we're going to have great food and great speakers. We're going to have a couple of guest speakers. But here's what I really want to emphasize. Men, I want you to try to uh, ask God, God, who is that one man that I need to bring who's unchurched? Don't bring the guy that's now you know, really active in another church. Don't bring the guy that has already been uh, walking with the Lord. Ask God to lay somebody on your heart that you know is unchurched, that's not actively leading his family, and you ask him to join you that day. At this conference, it's right here at our church. It's right here on our, at our facility, and you don't have to go anywhere. And so really, that, that, leads, that gives you three opportunities. Uh, right there, for the men, three opportunities. For everybody, at least two opportunities to be a follower of Christ and a, and a missionary. You can be an international missionary. You can be a North American missionary. You can be a disciple maker and never leave Tuscaloosa. And so I just want to encourage you to make the most of your time. We need to decide how we're going to steward the time that God's given us. And that's the subject of the sermon this morning. We're going to be talking about time and how to worship through time. And we need to ask God today to give us a new view of the way we use His time. And so here's what I want to remind you, that according to the Bible, anything that's created, we don't own. Anything that ultimately we could trace back to God being the source of, that means God owns it. So if you say, well, I've built a business, well, I would, I would say ultimately you've built a business because God created your body to have the physical strength and health in order for you to create the, the work, generate the work yourself. But ultimately God gave you the health, the mind. The, the business skills and talents. And he probably gave you people in your life that helped you along the way as well. So ultimately, you don't own that business or you don't own the things that have uh, been paid for through your business. And so we need to really ask the question, what is not created? And what we're going to find is all things that we exist uh, around, that exist around us and all these things that we call mine and ours, those are the things that are actually ultimately God's. And so I want to encourage you today to um, think about how you're using something that most of us probably don't even realize is not ours, and that's time. And I want to um, make a point here about your handout and give you some good news. I have to turn my notes in to our staff early in the week for, uh, a, a, for the note sheet for the worship folder. And so sometimes after I turn the worksheet uh, in for the the note sheet for your notes, I actually realized that I need to change it and 
that's the case this week. We're going to take only point one today. I'm just going to introduce this sermon material to you really through this key point, which is the fundamental point. And then the two, three, and four, we're probably going to use this similar outline next week to look at those. So on your note sheet, we're only going to be looking at number one and plan on that. And we're going to use that for the remainder of our time. The title of this sermon is Worship Through Time. Genesis chapter 1, verses, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now flip to Ephesians chapter 5 for me. And I'm going to read a long set of passage here, so stay with us as we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God and beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And here's our text, 7 and following through um, 16. But listen to verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. As we read these two passages of Scripture, and we go back to that primary text of Genesis chapter 1, we're likely not even to be aware that there's something in, in that very first passage of, of the Bible that most evangelical Christians are not even aware of. Most people, you know, and certainly most Christians do not understand that there was, in that very beginning phrase, in the beginning, the beginning of time itself. Most people think that there, time has always existed. But that's not true. The biblical position is when the universe was created, time itself was created. Before God created the universe, there was no time in, as we experience it in terms of a succession of moments, one after the, the, uh, another. 
So the words in the beginning in Genesis 1-1 mean in the beginning of time. The Bible teaches that time is part of God's creation. And, and, and that's why I told you early on that this study, when I learned it in seminary, it blew my mind because I had never thought that way. It had never dawned on me until I was in my in 40 years old that time is part of creation. But it's important that we understand this because what this means is God is outside of time. And when I began to understand the biblical position of time, what it did was it elevated my view of who God is because it made me grasp that God is awesome. And I began to realize that I'd put God into a box with my finite man and that I was not giving him his due glory and worship. And ladies and gentlemen, God is not like us. He's not the big man upstairs. He's the almighty and the Bible sets forth the idea that God has eternally existed in a perfect community called the Trinity. One essence in three distinct persons. One God with three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And they were in perfect community in eternity without needs. And, they, and God created time. And being outside of time, God therefore has the ability to know what we would call the future. In other words, God knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, this afternoon. God sees it as if it was present. He's outside of time. And He is, I know this is difficult to understand, able to see from the beginning of our creation in time to the very end. That's why the Bible calls Him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And He sees all of that. And that should give us great comfort God is not learning. He's not in process. He's not surprised by anything that ever happens. But it also should cause us to be in awe of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, God himself said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All at one time, he is all those things. And God, as a result of the being the creator of time, means that God ultimately owns time. And we don't own our own time on earth. We are to manage God's time for him. David himself in Psalm 31, verse 15, said, My times are in your hand. And that ought to be the attitude that we take this morning. And the fact is, that's true for all humanity, not just believers, but certainly as believers, we are now the ones that should really understand this through his scriptures, and we should embrace the proper management of our time. And I don't think we appreciate the fact that just the fact that our heart is beating right now, the next beat, the next moment of time, all of that is because of the providential oversight of the Almighty. And were he to stop that process or stop his oversight of time, then time would cease to exist and the universe would implode. And so the entire sustaining of our world and our life is only by His love and grace and His gift toward us. And that makes us in awe of who God is. Listen to what Isaiah, um, the prophet, in chapter 46, verse 9 and 10 
where God spoke through Isaiah. And God said, for I am God and there's no, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And so we need to have that type of view of who God is and stop using time in a sense that we say this is it's I, it's my time. And he's given us the Bible says enough time on earth to do his will for our life. The biblical position is God owns time and has given us enough time each as individuals on earth to accomplish his purposes for each of us. And it really should cause you right today to say I need to have a sense of urgency about how I deal with time in my life. And the purpose of, I'm going to just state the purpose of this sermon. The purpose of this sermon is to urge you to be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Just what we read in Scripture. So the question all of us should be asking is, God, how should I use, how should I make the most of your time? Now that I see it's not my time, how should I make the most of your time, Lord, so that I don't waste any of your time? And that's what we really want to look at today and next week, and that's what your handout will help you to answer how to worship through time. And so again, our strategy is to to compare what God gave us in Genesis 1 and 2 with other portions of the Scripture and come to some real practical ways that we can worship through time. And the, and, and the foundation, the central floor of worshiping through time is on your handout is number one. The first way to worship through time is today. You must consciously get on board with God's reason for your time on earth. You must make a decision. You have to be conscious about it. I'm going to consciously decide to get on board with God's reason for my life on earth. And the contention that I'm making today is that we can go to Genesis chapter 1 and we can see in the pre-fall condition of the planet what God's overarching reason for our lives is. If you notice back in Genesis chapter 1, if you were to go and flip back to Genesis 1, And you look at this first day of creation, the first moment of time that was created coincided with the creation of another notable thing, and that thing is light. Time was regulated by light. The Bible says in Genesis there was evening and there was morning one day. And the key point I want to make right here, and listen to this, the key point is that time and light go together. And there's two principles that come out of that. The first principle is that time is for light. And we're answering the question, what is the reason? How can I get on board with God's reason for me? And it is related to this principle that time is for light. And the second principle that comes out of Genesis chapter 1 is the presence of light reveals the presence of God. And so when we look at the general picture of this revelation of the universe itself, even today, but also if we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see that God is like light and that He's good. He is a source of life. 
He is distinguished from darkness. Without light, all creation ceases to exist. Life is, on the planet would be completely lifeless apart from God's necessary presence is what the Bible is teaching us here. The presence of God, of, the presence of created light in God's creation most clearly reveals and approximates who God is. God is related to the qualities of light. In Genesis chapter 1, God created light shows us that God is good. The Bible says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and He said it was good. God is fundamentally like light in that He is good, and all that good means, He's warm, He's life, He is loving, He is merciful, He is righteous, He's truth. And we learn in, throughout the Bible that God has a presence about Him that although He is omnipresent around the entire universe at all times, His immediate presence, what we could call His direct and immediate presence, often accompanies light called the glory of God. Throughout the Scriptures, for example, when the angels came and told the shepherds about the birth of Christ, God's presence came into that moment of time, and the Bible says that there was a light that was the glory of the Lord that shone around them, and they were afraid. If you remember when Saul, for example, was converted on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by the light of God's presence. And he even told Timothy in the, the letter he wrote, we call 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, verse 16, that when we are in the immediate presence of God, that there's an unapproachable light. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, God is sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see. And we call this the glory of God. And so in that sense, God's glory is, a, is related to light. Now, we can also say the glory of God means all the things about God that make Him worthy of worship. God's glory involves His worthiness to be worshipped, such as His power, His grace, His salvation, His beauty, His unconditional love. All of those things are part of His glory. And all of it is related to light. And so throughout the Bible, there is a, what I would call a theme of light. And in John, First uh, John chapter one, verse First John one verse five, the Bible says, "God is light, and in Him there's no darkness." But then John also says, and later on, that Jesus Himself called Himself the light of the world. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, John said, In Him was life, and, and in Christ the life was the light of men. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have this biblical theme that's related to time and light, that time is made for worship, and we are to see the, the importance of light 
and how it relates to us that we are to reflect God's light. And so right in Genesis, we are learning about the reflection of God's glory, that we are to image God's light back to everybody, that we are to reflect his image and worship him in reflecting his light. And so we don't get past verse 5 of the Bible before God has already told us what our reason for being on planet earth is, and that is to reflect the light of the glory of God. And the problem is that light has been marred by the fallenness of the world that we live in so that the world we live in is is a sinful world. And all of us have, the Bible says, fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all in need of that restoration so that we can have our sin removed that's darkening our own lives. And so the good news is right here. We read this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. That we have a way to work, to be restored, and it is Christ loving us, giving himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God in order that we might be restored and be able to worship through the time that we have to reflect glory to God. We have to, therefore, make a decision today. And if you have never decided today that you are going to become a follower of Christ, you have to consciously get on board with that. But even if you have in the, already made that decision, even if you're already a follower of Christ, then you have to understand we are fundamentally here to use our time to be a light bearer. And that's what this entire text in Ephesians is talking about here. It's talking about avoiding the darkness. What we need to really embrace is this passage from Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 7 through 10 in terms of understanding that God has given us the responsibility to reflect His light. So again, let me say, verse 7, Therefore do not be partakers with them. If you're a follower of Christ here today, you were formerly darkness, verse 8, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This is our reason for being here. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When I first read that verse 14, I had no idea what that was saying. But that was an early baptismal hymn that the early the first century church would sing in church when people were being baptized. And what they would, they would do is, like we would say, that you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. They would sing this phrase. This was lyrics to a song that said, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the answer to the question why, what is my reason for being on earth now? It is to let Christ shine on us. And so, again, implying that we need to reflect the glory of God. And so, 
This is the words of Christ when he himself said to us, we're the light of the world. And he said in Matthew's gospel, not only are you the light of the world, but you are, he went on to clarify what that means. You're to let light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so the challenge to us is to ask the question, am I using my time today? That's not my time, but it's God's time. Am I using God's time to let light sh- my light shine from what Christ has done for me in such a way that people are glorifying God because of what they see in my life? That's the answer to the question, what has God got you here for? Your time on earth that remains today is for you to be able to to walk in such a way that you reflect the glory of God, the light, be the light of the world. And that was God's purpose from the very beginning. I mean, we even read at the beginning of Ephesians, we're to imitate God. And here's, here's what I'm, I'm burdened by, because my testimony is that for I never lived actually giving my time to the Lord. I was a believer from age 13 to age 40, and my attitude and my understanding of what it meant to walk with Christ was I had restrictions on the types of activities that I could do. I could not just do whatever I wanted to morally because you had to be conformed to the moral codes of the Bible. And I knew I needed to be a witness for Christ, so you can't just go and you can't just go and, and, and do things that are going to hurt your witness. And I understood that as part of my Christian life. But I never ever considered that time that God had given me was not my time, but it was God's time. And I never once was instructed or told that I really should be praying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Instead, what I said was, I know what I want to do, and I know what my heart is, So I'm pretty much asking you, God, to just bless what my plans are. I'm asking you, God, to, you know, I was, I, as growing up, I loved airplanes. And I love, loved the idea of going into the military and flying the the jets that were in the Air Force and the, the best and the most powerful jets in the world. And so as a Christian youth, I never once took the, the time to ask God, do you even want me to do that? What I, in fact, I probably would have said, that's none of God's business. What I want you to do, God, is bless what my plans are. And I'm going to take this path, and I'm assuming that you're giving me the, the desires that you've given me, and so I'm just going to ask you to bless my dreams. My dreams are my dreams. No one had ever told me the idea that we were created and that God had created time in order for us to reflect black back who he is to the world. And so I, consequently, I never surrendered my plans to God. And he was, I was saved. He was my Lord. But he was not the master of my time. And so when I finally came to realize that my time is not my time, then I, I can't use the words my and mine anymore in any way. It radically changed how I look at the world it radically changed everything about my life. And that's what I'm really asking you today. Have you embraced the principle of stewardship? Or are you just going to let this pass on by you? 
Are you still saying there's certain things in your life, this is mine, this is off limits to you, God? Or is your attitude, you know, I will give you back a percentage of what is mine, God, but you don't have all of it. And what I'm telling you is until you embrace the idea that you do not own anything, including your time, yourself, or anything else, then you're outside the will of God. According to the Scriptures, God is calling us to steward our time on earth for, to be a light to the world, to reflect who he, he is. And so today, some of you are going to need to make a, a conscious decision. I need to get on board with my, the reason I'm here. And I would encourage you today to make that decision before the time passes anymore. And I do I tell you, I want to tell you, I have suffered from guilt that I wasted part of my life. You know, and, and so for years, I was really guilty that I had kind of got started late in life. And so I want to encourage anybody here that feels like that, because some of you may say, well, I'm I'm older. You know what? Do I, and, and my encouragement to you is what encouraged me. And that is a book, uh, a, a reference from the book of Joel that I want to read to you. And you don't need to turn there. You can just listen to it. But I want to pray this over anybody here today that is saying, you know, I've made dis- mistakes. I've wasted time. And in the book of Joel, and I alluded to this last Sunday, God had to send locusts to the children of Israel in order for them to be so broken that they would finally come back to Him. He broke them down through locust plagues so that they had two stark options, die from starvation or turn to God. And He brought them to that point, and obviously they had nowhere else to turn. But His grace was so beautiful in that He gave them an opportunity to restore what had been wasted in years of wasting in the pursuit of idols. And this is what He says, and just listen to Joel chapter 2. The Lord says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to Me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart, not your garments. He says, return to the Lord your God, for He's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. He goes on to say, then the Lord will be zealous for His land and He will have pity on His people. The Lord will answer and say to His people, behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine and oil, and you'll be satisfied and full with them. Then I will make up to you for the years that the locusts have eaten. And when I read that verse and when I was exposed to the truth that the Lord can restore the years the locusts have eaten, it it encouraged me and it reinvigorated me to use the time that I have remaining to be a light to the world. We are not here to take our time and waste it in ways that center around our desires but we are to yield our time on earth to the one that redeemed us. And so I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer today and just confront you with this radical concept that you don't own your time. And some of the young people that are here, I wish that I'd heard this sermon when I was 13 years old or 14 years old. I wish somebody had confronted me and said, I want to challenge you right now to ask the question, God, how do you... How do you want me to use your time? But that's the question all of us should be praying this morning. 
Our prayer this morning should be, Lord, how do you want me to steward your time moving forward from this point on? We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day and God bless.